It is good to see you guys this morning. We are truly glad that uh, you're here. We're continuing on studying through this book of Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus all the way up until Christmas, and really we're looking at all the different ways in the book of Exodus that God wants to draw things out of us. Because when we first look at Exodus, we think it's really about drawing the children of Israel out of captivity, and that's really true. But uh, more than that, God is drawing some things out of us, and so we're going to see that today. One of the things that God is drawing out of us are really some false expectations that that breed discouragement uh, in our life. We're going to deal with that today. But I don't know if you've raised teenagers, if you've ever had an experience uh, like this. Uh, When our oldest son... Uh, became a teenager. My wife was dead set on me having the talk with him. I didn't want to have the talk. She wanted me to have the talk. I said, you have the talk. She said, no, you're his dad. You need to have the talk. I don't want to have the talk. And uh, so she, uh, I'm just telling you what a great father I was. And she, uh, that was before the internet was like really super powerful. I mean, we had the internet. We just used it for MapQuest, but that's about it. But that Dr. James Dobson from Folks on the Family, he had resources for everything. So she ordered a packet, you know, with, with the uh, pictures, and she had a little, all the talking points and a PowerPoint presentation I was to share with him. And I still remember our house uh, that we were living in at the time. I can still remember walking down this hallway to his his room. He's in his room, and and he knew I was coming. He knew what was going down, and and I was sweating. Uh, he was sweating, and I. I went in and kind of gave him the Cliff Notes version of the talk and left after about three to four minutes. And she was, I can still see her where she was sitting. She was sitting in our kitchen looking right down the hall. And she said, which meant, turn it around, get back in there. You're not done yet. So I'm like, okay. So I went in and, and you know, and we had the, had the talk. And so it's hard to have the talk. But you have the talk because you, you really hope and you believe that, you know, it's, it's good. It's going to help to pre- hopefully prepare them for the future. Well, Today, we're going to have the talk, and you're like, oh, man. We're really going to have the, 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 the talk about some, some, some false expectations that we have spiritually, and, and we're going to see it embedded in this story today. And I, I, really, I really believe that what we're going to look at today could really help you so much when discouragement sets in, because we're living in some pretty discouraging days today, aren't we? I mean, this is some, some difficult days, and people are in, discouraged in their, in their walk with the Lord. They're discouraged by what they see around them physically. They're discouraged by what's going on in our, in our nation racially, discouraged in so many different ways. And so we're really going to see how we can really persevere through that, but it's not the easiest talk. We have to, we have to really break free from some false expectations. And so we're we're going we're gonna to do that today. So if you have your Bible, let's look at Exodus chapter 4, and we'll pick up in verse, verse 29, right at the end of Exodus chapter 4. And, and what's happening now is, if you remember, God has, God has called Moses to go and be this deliverer for the children of Israel for 430 years. They've been held captive in Egypt, and now it's time for them to be released, and, and they've been praying and calling out to God, and God's raised up this deliverer in Moses, even though he's really an unwilling leader at this point. Now Moses is going back, and he's going to speak to the children of Israel and then to Pharaoh and, and start this, he thinks, of this deliverance plan for the nation of Israel. Now, let's pick up in verse 29 of Exodus chapter 4. Moses and Aaron, that was his, uh, his brother, brought together all the elders of Israel. So he gathered the influential leaders in the nation of Israel to tell them what's about to take place. And Aaron told them everything the Lord had said to Moses. He told them about the burning bush. He performed, Aaron performs the miracles. He also performed the signs before the people. That was a miracle. If you were here last week, the staff that turns into a snake, uh, the hand that was leprous, and then it wasn't leprous. 
and then the water from the Nile to blood. So all these miracles. And so the children of Israel are like, whoa, this is powerful. God is moving. God has heard our cries. And it said in verse 31, and they believed. So the Israelites believed that God had sent a deliverer. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery in captivity, they bowed down and they worshiped. So chapter 4 ends really well with the children of Israel super excited that God had shown up and God was going to deliver them and they were packing their bags and they were ready to to head out. They were getting out of there. Now chapter 5 happens, right? So let's pick up in Exodus chapter 5 and start reading in in verse 1. I want to read just nine verses, but I want to kind of summarize the rest of the chapter. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. And I think Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh. They were on the heels of this really successful time with the leaders of the, the Israelites, and they had seen God move. I really think they had an expectation. They were going to sit down with Pharaoh and say, hey, it's time to let God's people go. And Pharaoh was going to say, well, listen, I've got some folks. We'll help you with travel arrangements. Whatever we need to do, you guys get out of here. It's been good. Go ahead. I think he had that in his mind because we all have a kind of a dream for our future, don't we? We all kind of have some thoughts about the way things are going to go down in the future, but very rarely does it go the way we think it's going to go. So after Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may may hold a festival uh, to me in the wilderness. Here's Pharaoh's response. Verse two, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Now, that's not the way Moses had kind of drawn it out. That wasn't the expectation he had when he sat down and, and had a meeting because God had called him and God had empowered him, and he just was so sure that Pharaoh was going to acquiesce. Now, Pharaoh says something pretty interesting when he says, who is the Lord? It's kind of an interesting phrase in the Hebrew. He's really not saying, I've never heard of this God. He's saying, I don't take your God serious. That's a little bit different. You see, I don't take this God serious. And why is that? Because Pharaoh thought he was a God, right? And in fact, all the people in Egypt would have thought Pharaoh was a God because all the Pharaohs, they believe were descendant from Ra, the sun god. So he's saying, you don't need to go and worship your God. I mean, I'm a God. We got plenty of gods right here in Egypt, and I don't take your God seriously. Verse 3, then Moses and Aaron still talking. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And they're saying, in other words, no, 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 you don't understand. God really told us to do this. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord because we don't, we don't want to defile uh, your land and we would be outside of God's will if we offered sacrifices here. So let us just get outside of Egypt to, to worship out, out to the wilderness and offer sacrifices to the Lord our God or he may strike us with plagues and, and with the sword. And so... Moses and Aaron are, are trying to persuade Pharaoh. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous. At, at, at this point, there's about 2 million Hebrews in Egypt. That's a pretty big workforce, right? The people are in the land are numerous, and you are stopping them from working. You're slowing progress down, Moses, and Pharaoh's not happy about this. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order. This is when things go from bad to worse. I don't want you to miss it. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. And like, we might read over that and think that's not a big deal, but it really is a big deal. If any of you are in manufacturing, you know, you, you, you show up and you uh, show up at your plan and, and all the materials you need for what you're going to produce are already there. 
And so the job is hard enough, but think, wonder if you had to go out and source the materials before you started your workday, that'd be even more difficult. And so this is what they're having to do. And so here's what I want you to see. Things are getting worse. They're not getting better. And the children of Israel at this point are like, Moses, thanks, but no thanks, buddy. I mean, since you showed up, I mean, it's, it's really, really going south. Verse 9, make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to their lies. And so Pharaoh kept the quota the same, just made the work harder because he didn't give them the materials they needed. They had to go out and gather all of their straw. And so as we read on through chapter 5, finally, the children of Israel, this was just an impossible situation. They're being mistreated. They're being punished because they're not able to meet their quota. They go to Pharaoh and beg Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, too sad, too too bad. And they leave. As they're leaving, they see Moses and Aaron, and they have a showdown with Moses and Aaron and basically say, we wish God would just kill you guys or judge you guys because you've made us a stench to Pharaoh, and you've made our life miserable. And Moses and Aaron are like, man, I can't believe this. This is not the way I I saw this deal going down. Moses goes back and, and speaks to God, and Moses starts complaining to God, God, what are you doing? Why did you send me here just to make me a laughing stock? Things are just getting worse and worse, and I don't understand what you're up to. And then Exodus chapter 6, I'm not going to read it. I just want to summarize a little section. God speaks to Moses and reminds him, by the way, for the fifth time since chapter 3, what he's going to do in bringing the children of Israel out by this strong hand. And he encourages encourages Moses. Moses takes this message back to the Hebrews, hoping it will encourage them. Look at verse 9, Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, reported that God was still in control and God was still going to bring them out. Uh, but they did not listen to him because of their, what's the word? Discouragement. They were so discouraged that they couldn't hear what Moses was saying because of their discouragement and their harsh labor. And in in your Bible, if you write in your Bible, you treat your Bible as a life textbook, which we talk about all the time here, you just might write there beside harsh labor, present circumstance. That's sort of how they're reading God right now, and they're super discouraged. And so let's talk about this one thing today. Discouragement sets in for all of us. Many times because we have false expectations, right? Does that make sense? We're discouraged because we have some false expectation. We thought it was going to go this way, and it's going that way. I mean, certainly here for the children of Israel, they have an expectation. And, and wouldn't you be the same? God shows up in the person of Moses and Aaron. They perform these miracles. Tell the children of Israel that Pharaoh's going to let you go. You're going to be released. I mean, they're excited. They're 10 foot tall and bulletproof, but it doesn't it work out exactly as they might think. And now they are super discouraged. And let me just be honest. We We've all found ourselves there, haven't we? We've all found ourselves living a life that we didn't really think was going to be ours, that there was a twist and turn in our life that we didn't really plan out. And so I want to look at four things really quickly in the talk. Like this is a, this is a conversation that I want to have with you that it's not like I'm really looking forward to. Just like I wasn't like totally looking forward to going and talking to my teenage son and giving, giving him the talk. This is something that, like, I'll, I'll make these points, and, like, nobody's going to say amen, and nobody's going to listen to this today and say, wow, that was, like, super helpful. I'm so glad I was there today. That was very encouraging. No, what this will do is this is really going to prepare us for the difficulties in life, and we need to have this talk. All right, you ready? Here we go. First, the first part of the talk is this. It's, an, it's this. It's expecting delays. 
If you're going to follow Christ, then we need to expect delays. Uh, I wake up uh, in the morning, and the first alert I get on my phone is a traffic alert for I-24. I don't know. How many of you drive I-24 in the mornings? Any of you? Yeah, I see your hands. Yeah, we, we want you to be here for the night of healing tonight. I think that could, something could happen there. That's a, tough, that's a tough ride. And I get the traffic alerts every single morning. It says, expect delays. There's always a wreck on 24 every morning. And so if you drive 24, just help me out here. If you drive 24, you expect delays probably, don't you? Just expect delays. That's just a part of driving I-24 from Murfreesboro into Nashville. But let me just tell you something as a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's part of the talk. You have to expect delays. I mean, your journey, it's just not going to be straight. It's going to have some twists, and it's going to have some, some, some turns, and it's going to have some, some detours in it. Because here's what's really happening between Pharaoh and Moses. This is not a political battle. This is not just a battle between Israel and Egypt. This is a spiritual, spiritual battle. And spiritual battles just aren't won overnight. They're just not won overnight. And so we so want instant gratification. And as I'm thinking about this, I'm thinking about this message. I'm thinking about so many of my friends in the past who at some point in time in their life got excited about the Lord. And and you have friends like that too. But then things happened and some detours happened in their life. And they just sort of, they just exited. They just checked out because they really weren't prepared. They weren't expecting delays. There'll be delays in your marriage difficult season. It it, it may not just get better overnight. And if it's an addiction that you're struggling with, it just may not get better overnight. If it's anxiety or depression, it may not get better overnight, but it doesn't mean that it won't. But spiritual battles take some time. And sometimes, here's what's really difficult. Many times things go backwards before they go forward, right? Things go backwards before they go forward. In this story, that's exactly what takes place. Moses shows up and things get worse for the children of Israel before they ultimately get better and they're released, right? And I told you, this is the talk. Like, this is my fourth time to preach this message, and I can see the looks on your face. Everybody's like, what? Like, I don't know that I signed. I didn't sign up for that. Like, when I came forward and gave my life to Christ, they didn't read the fine print. Like, I didn't, I didn't see that. It's true nonetheless. You see, when I say things go backwards before they go forward, think about this when, when a seed is planted. Just think about a, we just plant a, 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 seed, a seed of corn. Let's just plant corn, for instance. Let's just do that. Well, that, that corn is going to go down before it goes up, right? Think about that. The roots are going to go down before it goes up. And many times that's what happens in our life, you see? And so we have to expect some, some delays. In John chapter 12, verse 24, listen to what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies... That dying, that's that germination period where the, 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 the seed really dies, but it, it, the, the roots are being established and going down. It remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. In other words, if I'm willing to hang in here, if I'm willing to expect the delays and let God finish what he started, there's something really good on the other side. Now, let's think about this today. Super important. I believe this. God is working a plan in your life and my life, but that plan is going to always, almost always look different than what we think. Does that make sense? God is working a plan, and you're like, my problem is I have a plan for my life. I have a plan for everybody's life around me. That's been my struggles, and if I know you very long, I'll, I'll, I'll have a plan for you too, right? 
But here's the thing. God's plan in my marriage hasn't looked like, uh, Amy and I were talking about this over the weekend. It didn't look like we thought it was going to look when it was starting out. God's plan for our boys has been different. God's plan for our life, for our ministry, just about every facet of our life looks different than what we thought when we were starting out. It just looks different. Now, on the other side of it, it's better than what we ever thought. But you know what? It takes some time, and it looks different. I want to show you something that to me is so fascinating. In Genesis chapter 15, let's just go back a little bit. We'll put the Scripture up on the screen. I want to show you something because when there's a delay, watch this. When when there's a delay, we think, God, you're just punishing us, or we say, you know what, God's just trying to develop some patience in us, and, and maybe that's true. But maybe it's a far bigger picture because if God is delaying something, he's clearly delaying something for a reason, for a purpose. And as a leader, boy, this is a hard thing for me as a leader. And if you lead any kind of organization, if you lead a team or an area in your business, whatever, if you lead, you know sometimes you have to make a decision and people aren't going to like that decision and you can't tell everyone everything that led you to make that decision, right? But you really would like to say, you know what, if you could see this one facet of the decision that I, that I can't tell you right now, then, then, then you would probably see my perspective. Does that make sense? You ever been there, right? Absolutely. Well, watch this. When it comes to the children of Israel's delay, why has God delayed so long leaving them in Egypt? Well, the Bible answers that question in Genesis chapter 15. And all I'm wanting you to see is delays aren't purposeless. They are purposeful. Now, Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, this is hundreds of years before the children of Israel would go into captivity. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. This is Abraham. This is the father of the nation of Israel, the people who are several hundred years, four or five hundred years later now in captivity. Then the Lord said to him, said to Abraham, know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and they will be enslaved and mistreated. Like when God told Abraham he was going to be the father of a great nation, I don't think Abraham thought, you know, here's a dream that I have for this great nation that they'd spend 430 years in captivity. That's my dream. No. All right? Look at verse 14. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves. Right? So we're wondering, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're a Jew in captivity in Egypt, you're wondering, God, when are you going to deal with the Egyptians? And God is telling Abraham way before it happens, I will. And afterwards, they will, they meaning the children of Israel, will come out, and they'll come out with great possession. In other words, I'm not going to waste that time of delaying I'm going to do something. I'm going to provide for them in that time. Can I just offer you some good news? Can I just encourage you? Can I just help you in the middle of this talk? That if right now, if you're in the midst of a delay, God is doing something in the middle of that delay, and there's a chance for you to come out on the other side with some great possessions. And and one of the things would be some spiritual possessions, what God would do in your life to teach you. Now, let's look on. That isn't even why I wanted to read this passage, right? Verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. That's just God just being nice with Abraham and saying, Abe, you're going to die. You'll be with me. It's good. Don't worry. Verse 16, in the four, here it is. Here's why I picked this passage. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, right? They've been enslaved, but they're going to come out of slavery in Egypt, and they're going to come back here, meaning where is here? To the promised land, the land of Canaan that I have for them. Why? For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. In other words, in this particular instant, God shows us why he is delaying. It's because of the Amorites. This, this was a violent, brutal, bloodthirsty, terrible group of people. I mean, they sacrificed their children, right? I mean, raped, pillaged, 
you, you name it. This is, this is a, a completely, utterly corrupt group of people, and God is giving them time to repent. And if they don't repent, which they don't, then he is moving them out or bringing judgment on them so that the children of Israel can come in and experience the abundance. Because if they came in too soon, they would be damaged, hurt, and influenced by the Amorites. What am I saying in all that? There's real purpose in what God was doing. Do you see it? Expect delays. And when God's delaying, like if we see that on the other side, if God would have said, you know what, if I, if I brought you in too quick, you wouldn't have been able to stay there. Like, okay, that makes sense. Many times, watch this, many times we're not experiencing, we're not experiencing what we want from the Lord. Why? Why is that? Here's one reason why. Because if God gave it to us right then, we aren't ready to really receive it and stay in that area, that promised land in our life. That's why. So expect delays, number one. That's the first part of the talk. Expect delays. Number two, expect to be misunderstood. You're like, wow, this is really getting better. Thank you. Expect delays. Expect to be misunderstood. This is, Nick, this isn't a message that you'll take and speak at a youth camp this summer. Nobody's coming forward on this one. I can, I can promise you that. Expect to be misunderstood. Everybody in this story in, in chapter 5 is misunderstood, right? The children of Israel are misunderstood by Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, you're lazy. That's why you want to leave. No, they want to go worship. So they're misunderstood, right? Moses is misunderstood by the children of Israel. Moses, we thought you were going to help us. Now we wish you would die because you just made matters worse. Even God is misunderstood. So everybody is misunderstood. Now watch this. Remember what Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? That was Pharaoh's question. Really what he's saying is, I don't take your God seriously. Now, now watch this. If, if, if you are the opposite of Pharaoh, like if you would say here today that, you know what, I want to be the opposite of Pharaoh and I do take, I do take the Lord seriously, meaning this. What does that mean? Meaning that it has some implications in my life. Watch this. If, if following Christ has some implications in your life, your relationship with Jesus Christ has an impact on your morals, an impact on your money, an impact on how you do business, an impact on how you speak, an impact on how you forgive, expect to be misunderstood. Expect to be misunderstood because there's going to be family, there's going to be friends, there's going to be co-workers, there's going to be classmates, there's going to be teammates that will misunderstand you. That's to be expected, but we're not prepared for that. So when that happens, it really spins us out. Listen to what James, the half-brother of Jesus, says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in James chapter 4, verse 4. We're almost halfway through the talk. You okay? <laughs> Good. All right. James 4, verse 4. James says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world, and when he uses the word world here, he's not talking about the sun, moon, the stars, and the plants. He's talking about the world system, those who live their life contrary to God, those that are like Pharaoh, that God's ways are not making any, making any impact in their life. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? In other words, if everybody under this world system understands you and gets you, there's a problem with that. You're probably living as an enemy enemy of God. Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So here's the second thing in this talk. Expect to be misunderstood. There's going to be seasons where people around you close to you are not going to understand why you live your life the way you do. That's to be expected. Number three, here we go. Expect trouble. You're like, dude, when is this going to be over? Like, this is actually almost as bad as when my dad had the talk with me. What do you mean? In your Christian life, 
Should I expect trouble? Yes, expect, expect trouble. Somebody is going to take your straw. There's things that are going to happen in your life that are going to make your life more difficult in the short run. Now watch this. Think about this from our story. The immediate effect of Moses showing up back in Egypt made life easier or harder for the Hebrews? Harder, right? I mean, I don't know if we... We didn't teach that with a little flannel graph story in Sunday school, right? Hey, follow Jesus, and it's going to make your life harder. Nobody taught us that, did they, right? We didn't see that. But in this, in this story, in the short run, it, it immediately gets more difficult for the children of Israel. And most people in the church are not prepared for that. When life gets harder, we think, I've done something really wrong. I didn't expect that. It spins us out, and we become super discouraged. Why do we become super discouraged for this one thing that we're talking about? Because we had a false expectation. If you believe, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I will never have to go through any trouble. When trouble comes, you're going to be discouraged because that's a false expectation. God is trying to draw these expectations, these false expectations out of us so we can be free, right? Let me say this. Never expect that carrying out God's commandment will increase your own comfort. Now, again, this is my fourth time to say that. Nobody's nodded. Everybody looks down when I say that, like, you know, because I think that's really what we believe. You know what? If I obey, if I obey a command of God, then it will immediately increase my own comfort. Not necessarily, Again, in this situation, their life gets, for the short run, it gets worse before it gets better. And why is that? Because this is a fallen, broken world. And whenever, watch this, whenever we really get serious about our faith, we become a threat of the enemy. And here's the deal. When you become a threat of the enemy, you most always become a target of the enemy. All right, you see that? And many people will just say, well, I I I don't want that. You see, but it's not really a question of whether you want that or not because you know it's what God's called you to and God wants to meet you and do a great work there, but you just need to be prepared that somebody's going to steal your straw somewhere along the way and life's going to be more difficult. It can be a really difficult breakup that spins you out. It can be a really tough diagnosis. It's really not being able to get uh, in the school you wanted to get in or the degree program that you wanted to, to get in, and on and on and on. Somebody will steal your straw. Now, watch what Jesus says about this. If you don't get anything else today, I, I, want, I, want, you to, I want you to get a perspective on this verse. We're going to take a test on it in, in about a minute and a half, so be ready, all right? Because I want you to at least have one thing. What do you talk about today? Tell them this. John chapter 16, verse 33, here's what Jesus said. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace, meaning you trust me and you can have peace regardless of what's going on around you. That's good, isn't it? Jesus said, you can have a measure of peace because some of you at this point are saying, why in the world would I follow Jesus? Listen, storms are gonna come in your life whether you follow Christ or not. Would you agree with that? Jesus says you can have peace. You can have an exemption from the rage and havoc of war internally if you trust me. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have what? Help me. Trouble. Who said that? Jesus said that. Again, 75% of the time when somebody asks you a question in church, the answer is it's Jesus. You got a really good chance of getting it. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus says three things in this one passage that you need to know. Three things in this one passage that you need to know. He says, in life, and you're, I'm going to quiz you on this. We're, we're going to put this up on the screen uh, right now. In life, peace is possible, trouble is promise, and victory is certain. Say that with me. In life, Peace is possible, trouble is promised, and victory is certain. In life, peace is possible, trouble is promised, and victory is certain. Let's take that down off the screen. Nobody gets to leave to here today and go to lunch until we get this one thing. In life, 
Peace is what? Possible. Trouble is promised, and victory is certain. In life, peace is possible. Trouble is promised, and victory is certain. And, and you might say, well, well, how is victory certain? Because Jesus stepped out of the grave. He, he, he destroyed and defeated sin and death. So victory is, is always certain, you see? But in the meantime, in the land in between, right, peace is still possible. Trouble's promise and victory is certain. Now, when the enemy takes your straw, remember a couple things. When the enemy takes your straw, and he will, it's a, it's a great time for your growth and for God's glory. Now, here, let me, let me just speak to this very quickly. We are results-driven people. Does that make sense? We want to see results. If we're putting some effort into something, whether it's in uh, studying for a test, you want to you want to see your grades come up. Uh, whether you're you're working out, you want to see results in your body. What, what we're, we're just results driven people, and that's not a bad thing, right? If you're driven by results, here's what happens spiritually, though. When we're when we're walking in obedience, and perhaps we're putting the time in spiritually, and we're not seeing the kind of results that that we want, we make a value proposition. We say, "Is it really worth it? Right? Is it worth it?" Like. We have been giving obediently for the last three months, and, and Publishers Clearinghouse has not come to our house. It's not immediately getting better, right? I've been in the Word, and, and we, my wife and I were praying together. We're praying for our kids, and it's still like WrestleMania, like three nights a week in our house with our kids, so it's, it's not getting instantly better, so we make some value propositions. Is it really worth it to continue to pursue Christ? You see, so why would I continue to pursue Christ? Because God is getting results in the difficult times that you can't fathom. This is when God does his greatest work in your life and in my life. It's in the darkest times. It's when we don't really see his hand instantly, but he's doing something powerfully within us. Consider it, James chapter 1, verse 2. Watch this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its what? Work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Can I just be honest with you? I'm almost done. This is what I want for you more than anything else. I want you to be mature in your faith. I want you to be complete, not lacking anything. But listen, for that to take place in your life, in my life, we have to hang in there when somebody steals our straw and let God finish his work. You know, the other thing I said to you is when somebody steals your straw, when you're going through a difficult time, it's a great time for spiritual growth, but it's also the greatest time in your life to bring God glory. Because when somebody steals your straw, everybody's watching how you will respond. Do you see that? Everybody knows. Listen, when you've been treated unfairly, when you've been wronged, everybody is watching. Everybody at the office is watching, right? Everybody in your sorority is watching, and on and on. J.I. Packer has this quote. He said this. This is one of the most powerful things that I've read on this subject. If you ask why is this happening, no light may come. Isn't that the question we ask most when we go through difficulty? Why, why, why? And Packer says this, and I would agree, God very seldom answers the why question. But if you ask, how am I to glorify you now? There will always be an answer. So the question when somebody steals our straw, so the question when trouble comes in our life is not why God, but it's how God. That's a very very different question. And the only people that will ask that question are people that are expecting trouble as a normative part of their Christian experience. You see, how can I bring you glory? 
The guy that's been discipling me for the last three years, his name's Larry. He lives in Southern California. We talk on the phone. And uh, most of our conversations end with this phrase because I'm telling him something that I'm struggling with in my own life. He says this. He says, not every, Brady, Brady, not every valley means you have taken a wrong turn. That's been a really good word for me. It's really helped me. He says, not every valley that you're going through means you've taken a wrong turn. Sometimes in this life, we're just going to face trouble, and God's going to do something really good in the midst of it. So here we go. Let's just close. As a part of this talk, I just want you to know, and I know you're not enjoying this, you need to expect some delays as a normative part of your Christian experience. You need to expect to be misunderstood from time to time. You need to expect trouble. And then lastly, expect amnesia. You're like, that's the goofiest thing I've ever heard. I know it is. I just couldn't think of a way to say it better. But here's the truth. Here's what happened with Moses. I mean, God had spoken to Moses time and time again so clearly, but when Moses faced some opposition, he just forgot everything that God had done. Look at Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. This sounds like me as a 12-year-old. Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? Again, he asked why instead of how, right? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? I mean, I mean, Moses, God had done all these great things for Moses. Moses is back for like a day and a half, and here he is. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak to, you, to, speak to him on, in your name, that's like been a day. Ever since I went to Pharaoh, he, he has brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. That's me as a 12-year-old. God, you haven't, re- you haven't rescued us at all. Where are you? You haven't done anything at all. Here's a principle that I want you to see. Here's something I want you to see. Worldly opposition, whenever you face a trial, when you face opposition, it tends to breed spiritual amnesia. It was certainly true in Moses' life. We live in a cancel culture, right? You can have a favorite restaurant that you've eaten at for 20 years, but, you know, you go this afternoon and they bring out, like, a cold chimichanga and you're out, right? I don't go there anymore. Even though you had 20 years of great service inside the church, man, I've seen this, I'm not complaining. I'm just using it as an illustration. There have been people, so many people here, their kids have come to faith in Christ. We baptize them right up there. Their marriages was in a difficult spot and through biblical counseling, they got victory inside their marriage. It was an amazing experience. They found their giftedness and service here, but it was one decision that we made or I made as a leader that they didn't like, they didn't agree with, and man, they're out. You say, is that true? Absolutely, it's true. I mean, it's been true through, since this uh, season we're in, right? We said something about just, we would, we're not requiring, we, just, we, we would just ask you to wear a mask, and you, you, you had thought by some people that we, you know, we ask you to be sprayed with tear gas when you walked in, you know, and people accuse me of being just, you know, influenced by the liberal media, and you've bought into all these lies. I'm like, no, we just think it's a good idea. Well, I don't, I'm leaving. Okay, wait, wait a minute. You, your kids came to faith. Let, let, let's get this straight. Your kids came to faith in Christ here. God delivered you in a powerful way inside your marriage. God did that here. And you're going to let one opinion that you disagree with and you're out? Yeah, it happens all the time. It doesn't just happen here. It happens everywhere because we're kind of a cancel culture. What's the point? Opposition breeds spiritual amnesia. Let one bad thing happen in our life and we forget everything. Now, do the homework on this. If you go back and read chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Exodus, if I'm right, four times in chapter 3 and chapter 4, before 
Moses goes and speaks to Pharaoh four times. God tells Moses exactly what's going to happen. He tells him that Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard, that he's not going to immediately let the children of Israel go, and that it's gonna, God's going to, through just his strong arm, he's going to influence uh, Pharaoh, and ultimately he will let the children go. But four times God tells him, and, and Moses forgets all of that. I mean, Moses forgot the burning bush, right? That's a pretty big deal. He forgot it. Moses forgot the staff turning into a snake. That was pretty cool, right? The leprosy being healed, he forgot that, right? The water turned to blood, forgot, forgot, forgot. He forgot this. Watch this. He forgot this. Moses was born under a death sentence. Anybody remember that? Like when we first began to study? I mean, what do you remember from, from the beginning of this story? Moses was a Hebrew male, and all Hebrew males were, what was supposed to happen to him? They were supposed to be thrown where? Into the Nile, I mean, Moses was a Hebrew male born under a death sentence, and God supernaturally rescued him, let his mom raise him and get paid for it, then get the best education in the world in Pharaoh's house. Moses forgot that, didn't he? He forgot. That's what opposition does, man. Opposition in our life, it creates spiritual amnesia, and we forget about the goodness and the faithfulness of God in our life. Let me just tell you this. If it happened, or let me ask you, if it happened to Moses, do you think it could happen to you? Certainly it can. Certainly. Can I say this? I'm like Moses in so many ways. But here's a way that we're all like Moses. We all were born under a death sentence, weren't we? We were born under a death sentence. We were born in sin, separated from God. But if you're a believer here in Christ, then then God has rescued you from the dominion of darkness and you've passed over from death to life. That's a really good thing. And if if God never brings another miracle in my life, listen, he's done more than I've ever deserved. But why is it that we forget so much? Because you let a little opposition come in and we forget the goodness of God. You see, here's what I would say. Don't doubt in the dark moments of your life when a wave of discouragement comes over. Don't doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you and what God has done in the light. Let me say it this way as we come to a close. Discouragement sets in in your life and my life when we read God through the lens of our current circumstances and situation. That's exactly Exodus 6, 9. They said, the children of Israel... They could not see the faithfulness of God. Why? Because at the current time, they were experiencing this harsh labor. So they were, they were gaining an understanding of the nature of who God is, this internal God, through their current circumstance and situation, you see? And discouragement will always set in when you read God through the lens of your current circumstances instead of what? His eternal promises. You know what God does for the children of Israel? Sometimes we read this, we're reading through the Old Testament. It's kind of a weird thing. It's like God will ask them to, to lay down stones of remembrance. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see this. You're like, that's goofy. I don't understand that. What God's doing is, is every time he performs a victory in the nation of Israel, he'll tell them to lay down a stone of remembrance. You ever driven down a highway? You did it probably this weekend. You see a cross on the side of the road? Help me, I'm running out of time. What does that mean? Somebody died there. It's a traffic accident. Somebody died. Just reminds us of what happened there, reminds the family. But God does something like that. Every time that something good happens in the life, he's faithful in the lives of the children of Israel. They, They lay down a stone of remembrance. Why did they do that? Because we're prone to forget. We're so prone to forget. Can I just tell you something? When God does something good in your life, big or small, tell someone about it. Tell someone why. Because you will forget in the dark moments of your soul, but they will remember and remind you. 
it's one of the things I love so much about my wife. We've been married for almost 30 years now. But, you know, some days she's up and some days I'm down and some days vice versa. And sometimes I'm having a dark moment of my soul and I doubt and I share that doubt. And she reminds reminds me of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God in her past. And I had, I had just gotten spiritual amnesia in the midst of that. Isn't that cool that we could have those kind of relationships? Tell somebody about that. When God does something good, tell somebody about that. Journal that. Tonight, one of the reasons we're excited about Night of Healing tonight, listen, one of the reasons we're excited is we got four testimonies tonight of people that are going to be talking about the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God in their life and how God has worked a miracle in their life. And it is going to encourage your faith because opposition, when opposition occurs, we're prone to forget the goodness of God. Let me give you a homework question, and then I'll be done. Some of you are like, I thought the homework was being here. No, 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 no. Maybe you would write this down, and maybe you'd talk about it at dinner one night this week. What is one false expectation? What is one false expectation in your life that has fueled your discouragement? Let me ask you that again. What is one false expectation in your life that has really fueled your discouragement? You see, because you didn't expect delay, you didn't expect to be misunderstood, you didn't expect trouble, and you didn't expect that you'd be so forgetful. But there could be more. It's a great discussion to have. I want to just say this. There's this question in this story today that has so challenged me that Pharaoh asked. Pharaoh, when Moses comes to him, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? That I should let you guys go and worship him, that I should worship him. You know what Pharaoh is saying? Listen, it was a, it was a terrible thing, but it's also a powerful thing for us to have some insight and, and f- to let that speak to us. Who is the Lord to you? Because what Pharaoh is saying is, I don't take your God very seriously. Who is the Lord to you? What impact is the God of creation making in your life? I'm not asking, do you believe in him? Pharaoh knew who he was. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's just, just not that important to me. I don't take him that seriously. But watch this. Pharaoh would take him pretty seriously. I've read the rest of this story. I don't want to to be a spoiler alert for Exodus. But Pharaoh is about to take the Lord seriously. But it's going to be too late, right? Because he's going to jump into that Red Sea. He's going to see the Red Sea parted. And then, in a cataclysmic way, it will crush in on him. It'll be a forever too late. And he will finally take the Lord seriously, but it'll be too late. But not for you. Not for you. Because I just wonder today as we close this service out, that's a great question for you to think about. Who is the Lord to me? I'm not asking you to know about him. Do you take him serious? What implications does Jesus Christ make in your life? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Exodus. You're using it to draw some things out of us. Today, we've looked at these false expectations that are fueling our discouragement. Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you reveal those to us so that we can grow in our understanding of you and grow in maturity and be complete in Christ and not be so tossed around by this world. 
Lord, we pray you do that. And, and for maybe one today who, the question, who is the Lord, their answer is very much like Pharaoh. They've never taken you seriously. They're their own God. They use people to meet their own needs. But you take them seriously. Seriously enough that you took the initiative to die in their place through the power of your Holy Spirit. Could that penetrate their heart today like never before? And they would fully commit to a God who has certainly fully committed to them. In Jesus' name, amen.